Welcome to Chattachesis. I'm your host, Deacon Matt Hallback, PhD, and I'm also a deacon of the Diocese of Des Moines, Iowa. I'm your host of Chattachesis, a podcast series for clergy that helps them find creative and fresh ways to share the gospel message and promote missionary discipleship. This episode is brought to you by Christ in Us and Sadlier's bilingual program, Cristo in Nosotros. All children are introduced to seven strands of spirituality by some of the giants in the Catholic mystical tradition. Start your journey now at sadlierreligion.com forward slash CIU. Today, I'm very pleased and honored to have on the show Bishop Edward Scharfenberger, who's the Bishop of Albany, New York. Bishop Edward, how are you? I'm doing great, Matt. Good to be back again, too. Well, it's good to say, well, tell our listeners where you came from. (laughs) Well, if you don't figure it out within the first minute or so, I'm originally from Brooklyn. I'm a Brooklyn boy and grew up in Brooklyn all my life. Although I must say that um, my parents met in Oklahoma City during World War II and my mom was from Dubuque, Iowa. So I, I also know uh, what wonderful sweet Iowa corn tastes like too. Uh, and uh, no, seriously, because by the time it gets to Brooklyn, it was always really yellow and tough and hard, you know. And uh, uh, But anyway, I have kind of the best of both worlds, uh, you know, having parents from different states. And I suppose being from Brooklyn, we come from, uh, it has a very multi-ethnic community. They used, They say the world lives here about Brooklyn, you know. And then, of course, when they shipped me up the river a few years ago, up to Albany, um, you know, I used to say I don't trust air that I can't see. And uh, now up in Albany, the air is a lot purer, you know. But uh, th- And that's right to the point. O- Albany is very different from Brooklyn in many ways because it's a much more rural diocese. And um, uh, even though it is the center of New York State in terms of, uh, of its uh, it being the capital, of course, uh, most of our parishes are, are, are rural parishes. We're about the size of the state of Massachusetts, if that gives you some idea. So there's a lot of territory, but it has its share of diversity as well, too. So Brooklyn prepared me well for my ministry in, in Albany. And um, uh, I would just say, just to sum this all up, because growing up in Brooklyn with so many, many different people, uh, you really recognize that if you're really going to get anything done, you had to get along with people. Mm. So I learned very early in my life that our faith was not so much about churches. We have plenty of churches. We have plenty of beautiful places, but really about people. And uh, that is what has drawn me more and more to the heart of our faith, that ultimately our faith is about relationship. It's about a person, obviously Jesus Christ, uh, the second person of the Blessed Trinity incarnate, and this wonderful loving God that we have, which we sometimes call the Holy Trinity, but God is more than we can put in words. Mm -hmm. And God lives in us as we um, try to discover walking together, accompanying one another Mm -hmm. in this road of faith, uh, the blessing of, of friendship and of God's presence among us. So, uh, uh, and as you say, you know, we're moving into this um, time now where we're uh, getting out of, the, uh, hopefully, you know, out of the many challenges of COVID. We learned a lot during this, you know, but we're a little tired of Zoom, you know, where we want to, we want to do it in person. But we're we? not tired of podcasts, right? Never tired of podcasts, you know, <laughs> and it makes us accessible to one another. It does. 
It does. Well, thank you. That was a, probably the richest introduction we've had from any guest on this show. Um, to, you're just you're just eager to get into the into this deep discussion, Bishop, and I love it. So uh, we're talking with Bishop Ed today about um, the movement our bishops' conference is taking the church in the United States on their journey over the next several years, really focusing on Eucharist and Eucharistic renewal. And how that's going to play out will will be different in every single diocese. But uh, but kind of to, to your point, Bishop, really it's going to come down to uh, renewing relationships, not only with Christ uh, and Christ in the Eucharist, but with one another. And I think, um, as the old saying goes, the Eucharist makes the church and the church makes the Eucharist. And you can't have... Um, you can't reinvigorate or re renew a Eucharistic culture just in terms of thinking correctly about Eucharist and pro and having proper worship. You also have to be renewed and reinvigorated with with those in the church, the people of God. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm really excited to get in this topic with you. So why don't we just step back and say, what precipitated this um, the need to focus on Eucharistic renewal? What what sort of drove the bishops in this direction? It's a number of different things, but I would say it primarily came from God through the people. In other words, uh, one, of, one thing we know that God is always trying to reach out to us. In fact, I would almost say this is God's problem, you know, because throughout the course of salvation history, you know, from the moment of the creation, you know, man and woman, and, and throughout the course of what we call salvation history, which is the history of God's relationship with God's people, uh, we constantly see the desire for the Lord to have relationship with us, to have us to know God as, as someone who loves us, who is with us, who is present to us, uh, even though obviously we don't see God because God is spirit and God can't not be God. But then God took care of that too, because uh, when God's you know working with through the prophets and, and through the community, didn't seem to be sufficient. He sent his only son to actually become one like us in all things but sin. So anyway, uh, what, we're, what we're seeing here is that, uh, yes, people are saying they did feel the loss uh, of the connection that, that happened during the pandemic. There's no question. Mm -hmm. We're all a little stir crazy. We had cabin fever. We're still not, some of us, sure how much we want to go out, you know, and, and it's going to take a little time to readjust. But people felt the loss of personal connection. As good as you know, our technology is, people felt that loss. And, uh, and there was a big concern, I think, uh, and again, this was a concern I was hearing from, uh, from pastors you know, and, and, and parish people that work in, in pastor leadership. Will the people come back? Now, uh, I don't know what you're seeing, you know, those of our listeners are hearing, seeing, but uh, contrary to fears, there seems to be quite a revival that people are anxious to come back. And as long as they know it's safe to go on the water again, they will be there, you know. So I'm not so much worried about that. But I think that was part of what started this, the concern that people won't come back. It was more of a fear of what we lost rather than a, an initially a thought about what we might have gained from this experience. And I think uh, what we came to see is that let's, let's take advantage of this experience ask what we've learned from it, and see where we still need to go. Um, the, uh, the other thing, of course, let's get right, let's cut right to the chase. We know that there have been surveys out there that have shown that uh, when they ask Catholics 
you know, what, how do you understand the Eucharist? Right. What does that mean to you? Right. And when they ask the inevitable question, do you believe that Jesus is really present, you know, under the form of bread and wine? Do you believe that? And many of these surveys show that uh, as few as 30% of Catholics hold to that, you know? Now, yeah. what they don't often show is, is that, you know, it's a funny thing, although a lot of people say, you know, I like, this is what I like about the church. This is what I don't like about the church. But many people who were born and baptized as Catholics, they want a Catholic funeral. They want a Catholic wedding. They want to have their children baptized. But not everybody that answers to the survey may necessarily be uh, in the mainstream, let's just right. say. You know? right. So maybe when they say, you know, I think it's, uh, you know, it's uh, a nice way in which Christians celebrate and celebrate God's goodness, it's not something that is, I don't see it so much as heresy, so much as a lack of full awareness of right. what we really do teach. Right. And, and that is one, this. That, well, basically, we do teach that uh, in the Eucharist, that uh, Jesus, through a mystery we can't explain, does make himself present body, blood, soul, and divinity under these this form of bread and wine, you know, which means if you, if you bite the host, blood isn't going to come out. It's not a biological transformation in that sense, but that Jesus is truly present. The same Jesus that we receive at the altar is the same Jesus that the saints behold in heaven. There's only one Jesus, and that Jesus we have in us, and he wants to be the consumed man. He wants us to feed on him. And that's a tremendous mystery, but takes time to wrap our minds around that yeah. to really understand what it means. I'm glad you mentioned the surveys and particularly that I think it was a the Pew survey from a few years back um, in particular where that question was put put forth to Catholics and mm -hmm. and the response was pretty meager in terms of understanding what what that what you just described transubstantiation and then having belief in that miracle and one wonders too which you kind of alluded to not not only who is being surveyed here uh, that's a great question and then also how are those questions being worded? Are they are they being understood correctly when they're asked? I mean, who who knows? And but I think the bigger piece is what you said earlier, which is um, people's relationship with Eucharist. You know, I, I wonder uh, if we're going to affect some kind of renewal nationally and in, in our own individual diocese around this. Um, we have to get at the question. You know, what does Eucharist mean to people? And, and I think for sure we could say, well, the church teaches, it's the, what you just said, you just wrote it off. It's very, very Baltimore catechism study uh, person right there. You just wrote off the answer right away. Um, the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus, that's, that's what it is. And it is. But we know that our faith doesn't just live in our head, that our faith has to live in our hearts. So we wonder, what is, what's, where's the disconnect happening here? And yeah. how can we make that connection? And the thing is, is uh, if we take it to the next step, uh, there's an old expression. I mean, I've heard this. I think there was actually a, a book uh, uh, that was titled even by this, that you are what you eat. Yeah. You know, and I mean, we understand that obviously in a very physical sense, you know, if you eat junk food all the time and eat the wrong types of food, it's not going to be very good for your health, right? Uh, we do know that we're fed, but we can take that to the next level of uh, things that we consume not maybe just physically, but even mentally. Like if you if you uh, surround yourself, if you live in a violent atmosphere, for example, and you're consumed mm -hmm. by violence, 
or if you live in an atmosphere where there is fear or anxiety, you know, you can become consumed by what you're surrounded by, right? Or uh, for those that get involved, you know, we, we know that you can get addicted to anything. You can get addicted to food, you can get addicted to money, you can get addicted to the internet, you know, you name it. You can get addicted to cars, to racing, to sports. You know, if you allow yourself to be so, uh, if, if, if you feed on, you know, these things, that eventually they can create a tremendous anxiety. Here's the thing. If we feed on the Lord, if we feed on Jesus, we find our true identity, we find peace, and we find ultimately one another. Uh, Jesus helps us to get it all together. That's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So what I'm trying to say is this, that uh, sometimes you just have to do things to experience them. Mm-hmm. You can't really learn how to swim unless you get in the water mm-hmm. and you, you, know, you paddle around a bit. Or watch that? YouTube videos. Oh, yeah, right, exactly, right? Uh, how can you learn how to drive a car? You So you pass right. the test. Like I could just give you all the tests. What's the what's what's the what's the the Eucharist test? Okay, you, you rattle back the, the mm-hmm. answer. Body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. But you're still not driving the car, mm-hmm. and you have to walk the walk. And that's really what what uh, what we want to do. When we you know when you go to mass, the very the very last words in the mass in Latin used to be "ite missa est," and they translate this in different ways. Uh, some say it means go, you have been sent, you know, uh, but probably the best translation is go, the mass is. Now the mass continues into everyday life. You have received the Lord, but now you're going to take the Lord and you want to bring his presence and experience his presence in your relationships. It's the road to Emmaus, you know, when Jesus encountered the two mm-hmm. men when they were probably arguing uh, you know, one another, you know, about was this really the one that was going to come and all that. Yeah. Um, we have to engage with one another, and uh, particularly the poor. And when I say the poor, I don't only, only mean the economically poor, but anybody who is hungering and is looking for some meaning in their lives, uh, which is all of us, of course, when you be, to be honest. But uh, we have to trust that when we explore the, the big questions of our lives, like what are our relationships all about? You know, what is really the most important thing? What are the things we need? What are the things we can let go of? What is the meaning of suffering and sacrifice? I mean, anybody that's truly been in love knows that there is no real love without sacrifice. It's always there. You know, that's what the cross is all about, of a God who actually loves us into salvation by dying for us because he gets persecuted for giving that love. You know, anybody that really wants to love someone is going to experience that. So talking about these things and walking the walk and sharing one another's experiences, uh, we begin to see the reality of the presence of Christ in us. Uh, Even parents, you know, say struggling with a a one-year-old child who is graduating into what is sometimes called the terrible twos, when the child begins to start showing his or her independence, and you know, and they become a little louder, a little bit. Well, that's a painful process, but you have to be patient with that as the child is growing. You may have teenagers, young people, who have seemingly drifted from the faith. Don't give up on them. They're testing you because they want the faith to be real. So, you know, it's not enough just to tell them what to do. 
You have to be patient and listen and walk with them to obviously give them direction. Uh, so uh, go the mass is it's ex it's experiencing the reality of what happens when we become closer to Jesus and he does have a calming effect on us. We're able to handle these, these, uh, these challenges, these waves, you know, as the apostles had to, when they were on the sea of Galilee, often storms would come up. Mm -hmm. They lost faith. Jesus always showed up, always with us. It's a couple of things I just want to touch on. One, we have twins that are in their terrible twos. So I don't know if that makes them, uh, you know, twice as terrible or what, but um, definitely a challenge. And and the only way to meet that challenge uh, truly is just, you mentioned earlier, sacrifice. Uh, you you have to die Amen. to yourself. Uh, that That's what Amen. being ordained is. That's what being married is. That's what being a decent person is. Um, and then I was thinking about the, you mentioned the earlier, right? I was thinking of the old marriage, right? Uh, he used to say, the priest used to say to the couple that marriage is a joy and it's irksome. <laughs> I'm like, irksome isn't enough. You have to go a little more than that. <laughs> it can be a trial sometimes. Absolutely. Uh, so at any rate, I, I just want to touch on those things. We have an audience, Bishop, mostly of priests and deacons. This is a great podcast for clergy, by clergy. So I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit and ask you, you know, if talking to your own priestly sons and deacon sons and brothers, what would you say to them? How, how can Eucharistic renewal begin with them? What are some things you'd like to see them doing um, to make Christ more, more evident in themselves, as you say, to witness to that Eucharistic Lord? I would say, uh, the first thing I would say, I have many things I would say, but the first thing I would say is, how are you praying? Mm -hmm. How are you praying? Now, the divine office is the prayer of the church, and that's a good thing, because when we pray that, you know, and if, if, if we're probably praying it alone in most cases, you know, but if you have an opportunity to pray it uh, with us, with your spouse or with uh, your family or with another deacon or priest, uh, even if it's online, uh, that would be a good thing to do. But, uh, but that's not the only form of prayer. We do need the prayer of quiet in which we're not saying words. So one way to experience the power of the Eucharist in our lives is to is to take the time in quiet prayer, meditative prayer. Now, people do that differently. You, some people say a rosary, and that gets them going. Some read the Bible or another book, gets them going. Uh, or we can do the, uh, the tried and true, you know, ACTS, adoration, contrition, thanksgiving, and supplication. You know, you go through those four pat rhythms. But uh, what I'm getting at is, is time before the Blessed Sacrament, uh, Eucharistic adoration. Now, you, you may not have a monstrance in your house and, and a private altar. Okay, fine. But find a prayer chair if you're not doing this, or if you have done it, get back to it. I think the uh, importance of putting God, Jesus in particular, at the center of our lives and we can't really do that by just saying it. Oh, yeah, Jesus is my personal Savior. We really do have to give the time only to him. And uh, I challenge myself to this, too. So I'm not I'm preaching to myself as I'm saying this to you. Find that time uh, to spend in, in adoration, if not physically with the Blessed, Blessed Sacrament, then some quiet place that is so important. Um, same thing is true that since we're all here preaching, 
You know, we could ask ourselves about how are we preaching? You know, are we preaching mm -hmm. about ourselves? Are we preaching to entertain people? Mm -hmm. Are we trying to come up with stories and little, little vignettes to try to get people's attention? Mm -hmm. Or are we really preaching from conviction? Uh, in other words, am I looking at the scriptures and asking, how is this moving me? I have to be transformed and believe in the power of God's presence in my life, life to be able to communicate that to other people. And I have to tell you, when I became bishop, I was scared because I was afraid I'd never be able to be a priest again, because all I'd be doing was going to endless meetings and all of that kind of thing. And, and, and um, some of that is true. But what I've come to recognize is that rec realizing that I can't do anything unless I trust in God, you know, giving me the strength uh, and hopefully the wisdom to do what I have to do. So I find myself more often than not, you know, just turning to the Lord and saying, Lord, I have no idea how I'm going to get through this day or how I'm going to get through this meeting or what I'm going to do in dealing with this difficult situation. So I turn to you. You be the center of my life. You be my guide. That's what I think we need to do more than anything else. Dump it all on Jesus. Turn everything over to him. All of our trials, all of our sorrows, all of our cares. And then trust that uh, wherever he sends us, that he's going to give us the grace and he's going to be with us in all we do. That's the experience of the reality of his presence in our lives that will grow on us as we can keep going, circling back to Jesus. You know, so let the Eucharist, the Mass, the office, all of that be more than a ritual, but actually a real connecting point that stays with us throughout the day and throughout our lives. Um, and that's, he's real. He's real. He's not just the concept, mm -hmm. you know. And uh, the more we do that, uh, but again, you have to, Jump in the water, you know, you're going to learn how to swim. So it takes that, call it the leap of faith, you know, every day. We have a sign over our couch in the living room uh, says, jump in. And we got that, Stacey and I got that sign uh, shortly after um, shortly after we met each other on a traveling vacation Bible school years ago. And uh, both of us to come together would be turning away from different uh, other prospects and directions and and um, it, it was amazing how God led us to each other but again you have to take the plunge and and baptism sort of sets that tone for everything in the life of the church there's a plunge yeah. to be taken um, I want to say ask you real quick and then we'll kind of drill down a little bit on what's going on in Albany for in your diocese as far as um, Eucharistic renewal and what, what might be in the works mm -hmm. so um, would you have anything to say about especially with priests listening um, you know, that, that, that old struggle of they, they're formed in community and then they're sent into a diocesan structure with a little more isolation, living by themselves most of the time. Um, sometimes there's a shared or regional rectory, but those tend to be far and few between. If there's, if there's going to be Eucharistic renewal and, and it's going to be happening in our clergy as well, part of that, don't you think, would be increasing the fellowship uh, amongst, amongst clergy. Do you agree with that? Do you think that's critical? Oh, it's absolutely critical, and it's tough. And uh, it, I guess part of it is because, you know, we're, we're men and we're American men. And, uh, you know, unless we can play sports maybe together or we can golf together, 
we don't have to do a lot of talking, you know, we just right. put a light. And we can do great projects together, too. We, we do things together. But actually to be with one another and to really listen to one another. I mean, I know there are men's groups that do this and priest groups that do this. I certainly encourage it, you know, if you can get that going. Uh, but the other part of it, too, is to keep focused on mission, you know, because if we are isolated, you, we can get easily into poor me, you know, the things that I don't have that aren't going right. And whether it's our health or whether it's a personal moral struggle or whether it's finances or whether it's worry about simply the um, practical matters of running a parish, uh, all very real parts of life. But keep focused on mission. How can I go out most to those in need? Um, we, there's, a, there's an amazing thing that when we go out to people who are really hurting and really broken, they have ways of witnessing to us and bringing out the Jesus that is inside of us waiting to come out to help heal them. The more we focus outward, Pope Francis says this all the time, you know, that the, mission, the focus of the church always has to be outward. Too much navel gazing or worry about what's going to happen to us uh, doesn't really uh, lead us to much spiritual growth. So I would say get off the dime. And uh, I don't mean just do more. I don't mean, you know, renovate the rectory or, or you know, you know rearrange the, the church. I mean, you may need that. But, I mean, get out with people. And, and, and uh, no matter how isolated you may be, make sure to call somebody. Call somebody. You know, one of the things we found out, there was real worry during COVID that the parishes would go under because of the financial situation. Right. We know that in some cases it did happen, but there are some parishes, and some of our listeners may know this, who actually did better right. during COVID. And it seems that the winning formula, if you want to put it that way, was the pastors that actually made the phone calls. They were able to find a way of keeping touch with the people, maybe the bulletin, maybe a blog. But those that actually kept personal contact, mm -hmm. and you didn't even have to talk about money, that people just naturally responded. So, uh, you know, it's that outward thrust. Right. And yes, fraternity among priests, deacons, priests and deacons together, parish uh, people, parish leaders is, is a wonderful thing because we learn from one another, right? Mm -hmm. Our experience. So let's yeah. talk a little bit about um, any initiatives or things sort of brewing in, in your diocese as far as looking forward to, to helping um, maybe foster more of a, a Eucharistic awareness, love for the Eucharist. What's going on there? Well, two things we've been doing. One is more of a uh, uh, kind of like a sea change in terms of how we think of parish. Um, there was a document that came out two summers ago from the Congregation for the Clergy that encouraged parishes to rethink their sense of mission and to think outside the box and to collaborate with other parishes in, in, uh, in, in working together and sharing resources. And that's a very pragmatic thing. But that preceded this, uh, this, um, this initiative now towards Eucharistic renewal. One of the things we are going to do in Albany, uh, we haven't announced it yet, but uh, so I'll let the cat out of the bag, but we're going to do a Eucharistic Congress. And we did that uh, three years ago. It was very successful. We did it at Orysville, diocesan-wide. And what we do is we dedicate a full day in a place where we can gather. And we, it's a family day. We bring people together. We make it possible for people to have a picnic. And we have 
a mass. We have dynamic preachers. We, uh, I remember we set up uh, con confession booths. You know how you go to tropical resorts? Uh, not that many of us have time for this, but uh, what I've seen in pictures, okay, I'll put it that way, that they'll sometimes have like these little massage stations on the beach, you know, surrounded by, uh, by uh, little curtains and, yeah. and uh, everybody's sort of like getting there. Well, well, we did that. We did that with confessions. We set up stations. So we had about 10 or 12 uh, priests lined up along the Mohawk River with a little tent over them that people could go to confess. It was, was, it was really powerful to see. Wow. Uh, the setting was beautiful. So if you have time to plan something like this outdoors, it was great. And of course, we had uh, little workshops for kids too. We had people that played games with them because we have a lot of Native American culture in Albany. So we had some people, some Native Americans mm. that were present and showing them some of the Indian lore and, and so forth. It was a family day. And uh, yet it was Eucharist centered. We had uh, adoration of the Blessed Sacrament. We even had a procession all around the grounds. And this was an amazing thing. We didn't train people how to behave, but we had a, a large number of young people were there. And almost invariably, when the Eucharist went by, you know, in, in the monstrance there, people got down on their knees. Really? Uh, it was sort of a spontaneous, yeah, it was a spontaneous thing. And uh, we didn't pump anybody to do that. You don't <laughs> have to do that. But they just did it. So something happened. And people Jesus happened. By, yeah, Jesus happened. Yeah, uh, in, in every way, sacramentally, relationally, uh, through recreation, and uh, through eating together. You know, so uh, have a. Uh, I know it's easier said than done. You have to do a lot of planning to get to this point. Yeah. Get some people together, do a Eucharistic Congress. I think that'd be a great idea. So that's mm -hmm. certainly what something we have in mind to do. Plus, uh, obviously, we're. We will preach more. I will write more, talk a little bit more about the meaning of Eucharist. You know, even some of these tensions, and I'll bring it up. You didn't ask me about it, but everybody knows the bishops had this, uh, uh, this discussion about giving communion to certain politicians, you know, or not, who, uh, uh, you know, who sponsor yeah. legislation that's, you know, harm to our teaching. And uh, uh, one of the things that I, I was thinking about, and this did come up, is that a lot of times... Uh, it's folks don't understand that the the, the Eucharist is not just a, a little wafer, kind of a host that's sort of like a a little token, like a you know, or you give somebody a, a candy bar, you know, and come. It it really does represent uh, our belief in in the really holy, transforming presence of the Lord, and uh, what we look for is a willingness to be changed by our Eucharistic participation, not just something that we do because this is Catholic identity. But what I look for, and this is why I said very publicly, I'm not going to deny somebody communion publicly and announce somebody's name because I'm not going to play that game. What I'm going to do is say, look, if I do see some contradictions, you know, and it might not just be politicians, could be business people, could, could be, be anybody. I just talk to the person personally and say, you know, something that concerns me is a contradiction between, because a lot of the times the bishops are responding to what our, some of our lay people are saying. They see some of these things as scandalous because they see contrasts between public words and public actions. Right. So, uh, and that's what I would take to people, you know, to say, look at the, how much do our, does our behavior or actions 
coincide with what we say we really believe, you know. Mm -hmm. But you could take that same thing too. People could be going to church every Sunday, but and, and seeming to be holy and reverent, but then will leave the church and cuss out the next person that they meet in traffic like anybody else. Well, or even the parking lot. <laughs> right in the parking lot before you leave, you know. So all of us, I think, need to ask ourselves that question. Am I uh, am I coherent with what I say I believe? You know, if I really believe that Jesus loves everyone and would die for every one of us, even if you or I were the only person in the world, it's what a nun taught me in grammar mm. school, then do I treat every person I meet that way, the way Jesus treats each of us and the way I expect him to love me? And uh, I think that opens up a whole world of things that I can say, you know, I, I need to grow. I need to change. I need to be transformed by the love of God. I need more patience. You know, I, I, I need more self-sacrifice. I need more, more uh, willingness to, uh, to let go of some of my pet peeves. And, uh, and maybe I just simply need to listen more, you know, because nine-tenths of conversation really is listening, isn't it? Mm. Oh. Well, I appreciate those candid thoughts, and and no, I wasn't going to ask about it. <laughs> Thank you very much for. Oh, I brought it up. What the heck? Oh, I appreciate it. I appreciate it, and I think you bring up a really important point. And we just have a couple minutes left, but in regards to that um, document from the bishops and um, uh, the division, I think that there is within the episcopacy. I mean, the document is even written yet, so we're talking about something we don't know yeah. what's going to look like. Right. You know, and, and True. Like, and I think it's been said really clearly, there can be no national policy right. in the U.S. seems to be because we don't have the authority to do that. Ultimately, it's a very person-to-person -person sort of thing. So, But, uh, but the, what I wanted to touch on was that role of scandal and the element of scandal. And I yeah. think it really conditions how we deal with sin and treat sin and think about sin. And if you want to go, the, if you want to take that logic to its end, the reality is, as you're pointing out, not just politicians who choose to endorse things that are not that are not part of Catholic teaching, but any time that we don't act as Eucharistic people, any time that we behave in ways that are contrary to the gospel values and teachings of Jesus, that causes scandal. And the question really is, is there like a threshold? How big is the scandal, the scope of the scandal? Because all of us in, in how we live our lives, and if we live our lives contradictory to how we believe and how we worship, we're causing scandal in small okay. ways. And okay. so, it, you know what I'm saying? So it's interesting we're making, that- We're making it hard for others to believe that- Yes, absolutely, absolutely. That's what scandal really is. It's absolutely. Block, right? So then it becomes like, maybe it's about the scale of it. You know, that's why that's the big deal. Um, I don't know. That's but true. Yeah, who knows? I don't know. But thank you for your thoughts on that. Well, Bishop, um, I want to end on a positive note. Sounds like you, there's some wonderful things going on. Uh, blessings on that forthcoming Congress. And, and um, that's a great idea for any diocese. And um, thank you for those heartfelt thoughts to brother priests and deacons, um, what they can do to reinvigorate their connection with Jesus and the Eucharist. Do you have anything personally you'd like to say about, um, you know, maybe your own experience as a priest? Uh, what does the Eucharist mean to you? I'll give well, you the next 30 seconds. That, yeah. Uh, one of the things I've come to appreciate is that I am never really 
worthy, fully worthy of what God does to me and for me. And what is what God is willing to put up with 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 that patience, that incredible yeah. patience. Amen. I think the worst thing that can happen to any of us, and, and this happens to people who go to confession to priests all the time. Sometimes I'll hear people say, you know, I don't even think I'm going to go to confession anymore because I'm telling you the same things again and again and again. You know, the most diabolical of all temptations is the temptation of discouragement. Don't let your personal struggles or your big issues, whatever they may happen to be, discourage you from, number one, believing that God still loves you and believing that somehow or other you cannot change and grow. Just keep at it. Do not give up uh, and, and take advantage of the sacramental life of the church. I would say this. The, we do need to reinvigorate the beauty of the sacrament of penance or reconciliation or the sacrament of pieces. Bernard Herring liked to call it. Uh, that's an extremely important part of our practice. So that might be something to pray for, to find a confessor that you might be able to feel comfortable with. Uh, uh, and, uh, uh, and, and, and even still, uh, taking the time at the beginning of every Mass. You know, sometimes we say, beginning, you know, the introduction, to, to, before we celebrate these sacred mysteries, let's call to mind our sins. I confess to Almighty God, you know, we sometimes we go right on. We don't even time to pause. Pause for a few minutes. Let's, let's, before we celebrate these sacred mysteries, let's take a moment to remember God's mercy and our sinfulness and our need for, for forgiveness. And then breathe, pause, think about that. And then go on to ask, you know, uh, take the time to, re we're sinners, we're not worthy, but God loves us and will never give up on us. Do not give up on yourself and one another. There you have it. Thank you, Bishop, for those heartfelt words. A very authentic message. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Um, as I always ask um, our guests, uh, would you mind closing out this show with a blessing for myself and our listeners? Yeah, dear Lord, please thank you for these time, these moments that we spent with one another. Uh, help, help us to open our hearts to that grace that you want to give us at this moment, right here and now. Uh, that we may open our hearts to that, that, uh, that, that grace that is just waiting to take root in our hearts, that seed that is just waiting to be planted. Let's open our hearts to that seed of grace that has been planted and, uh, and to trust that it will continue to bear fruit because we know that you never abandon us, that you are with us always as the God that loves us. And uh, I ask your blessing on all of those who are hearing this message in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you again. We just chatted with Bishop Ed Scharfenberger, Bishop of Albany, New York. Thank you, Bishop, for your time and your wonderful words. A pleasure. Take care, man. All right. You too. God bless. God bless. Thank you for listening to another episode of Chattachesis. Head over to sadlyreligion.com forward slash podcast to hear more. And don't forget to request your sample and trial of Christ in Us and our bilingual edition, Christo in Asotros at sadlyreligion.com forward slash CIU.